0: Welcome to Real Marketers, where we hear from marketers who move fast, ask forgiveness, not permission, obsess about driving results, and are filled to the brim with crazy ideas and the guts to implement them. This is not a fireside chat, and there's absolutely no bullshit allowed here. And I'm your host, Stephanie Cox. I have more than 15 years of marketing experience, and I've pretty much done about everything in my career. I believe speed is better than perfection. I use the ox for comma. I love Coca-Cola, have exceptionally high standards, and surround myself with people who get shit done. On this show, my guests and I will push boundaries and share the real truths about marketing and empower you to become a real marketer. So first question, tell me something about yourself that few people know.
1: Um, So I suppose uh, most people will know me uh, for being in digital marketing and marketing technology and software. But um, I was actually meant to be a fighter pilot. uh, And I was taught to fly planes at university by the Royal Air Force. uh, But it wasn't meant to be. uh, So I ended up in in business development and sales as my first job out of university, which then led me into the internet and digital marketing and and software. So, you know, if, if the... If things had gone a different way, I could have been um, Maverick in Top Gun.
0: That, I was just like, how do we get from Maverick and Top Gun to digital marketing, right?
1: Yeah, that's it. Yeah. (laughs) That's,
0: That's crazy. So one of the things that you and I were talking about before we started recording the episode was your company name. So can you talk a little bit about where that came from and what it means?
1: Yeah, so the, our business is called Modo 25, and uh, we we build some technology called Bosco. And when I set the business up with one of the founders of Skyscanner, the flight booking app, uh, him and I met on a charity bike ride where we're cycling from London in the UK all the way across the world to Sydney in Australia over 25 years. And we're trying to raise £2 million or sort of $2.5 million for Um, this orphanage over that period of time and when we set the business up together we decided we wanted to contribute some of our profits each year to help impact the life of 280 orphans in a Ugandan uh, uh, town called Jinja. So we help clothe, educate, fund, inspire and hopefully get jobs for uh, 280 kids in an orphanage in, in Uganda and when we were trying to come up with the company name We were really struggling and we're thinking, well, we'll go with like the typical sort of agency or tech names, like probable or certainty or predictable or all those things. And then I thought, well, if purpose and supporting the orphans in Uganda is at the core of what we do, we should name the company after one of the children. And one of the children who had the most memorable name and I suppose the easiest to find a domain for and everything was Modo. And there's a, a nine year old girl who's one of the orphans at the the orphanage in Uganda called One More Child. And so we've named the company after Modo. And the reason it's called 25 is that I met my business partner and and initial investor, Bon, on on Ride 25, which is the bike ride from, from London to Australia. So that's the background of the name of the company. And when we decided to build the software, we thought, well, what does Bosco do? Well, Bosco provides the vision and direction for Modo. Uh, so we d- we named the, um, the, the software after the person who runs the orphanage. So we're slightly different business. We're, we're not just for profit. We've, we've got a core purpose running through our business. And so far it's absolutely helped us recruit people. It's helped us attract clients. Uh, and hopefully it sort of highlights that we're, we're nice people.
0: I love that story. Um, it touches my heart for a variety of reasons. Um, one of which is because all three of my kids are adopted internationally so, um, so I have a big heart for, for adoption and, um, orphan and orphans. So, oh, wow, yeah. So when you think about your, you know, this decision, it's, you know, it's not just naming the company, but it's also creating a business with a purpose. I think there's a lot of talk around this idea of like, you know, CEOs and founders being more than just business leaders and having an impact on the community. How do you think that plays into you know, your company every day. I know you mentioned it helps with recruiting employees and bringing on new customers. But, you know, when you think about that responsibility, what does that mean to you?
1: Well, I I think um, it just, yeah, well, hopefully it makes everybody realize when maybe they're having a tough day or they've got a difficult client call or something's a bit of a challenge that it's not just lining the shareholders' uh, pockets with money. We're actually got a slightly more important purpose that we're helping to change lives uh, in in Africa. And one of our core purposes is, trans- is transformation. And that's not just transforming our digital capabilities of our clients. It's also helping transform the potential future of the children in Africa. So hopefully when somebody's having a tough day, they think, well, actually yeah, I'm, I, I can't do this or I can do that. It, it's in the back of their minds that there is this slightly bigger purpose of why we're getting out of bed every morning uh, and doing what we're doing. And it has absolutely, as we just mentioned, Stephanie, helped uh, attract uh, certain types of candidates who maybe wouldn't have looked at our sort of small startup business if it wasn't for uh, our, our sort of more purpose-driven Uh, approach so yeah and I I think it it, yeah just it's also really motivating to hear the stories that we get back from the orphanage so we've managed to just get the first child from the orphanage into university uh, which is a huge step and we managed to find somebody to help fund that because obviously that's a huge amount of money uh, and they're actually going to go to university to do medicine and be mm-hmm. a doctor and then they're gonna go back to the slum where they were found as an orphan and they're gonna be a street doctor. So that I think just sort of closes the circle and one of the the medium to longer term vision is where we wanna actually set up a delivery center in Uganda and not only help give them an education, we wanna give them jobs. So can we have a Modo 25 office over there and help them teach them how to code or teach them uh, how, how to do performance marketing that could Ultimately, I suppose, give them an income and then help change the economy of the town rather than just that and transform that whole area. So, um, yeah, no. so we're hugely and I I think the the big thing, though, is the companies that are claiming they've got a purpose need to actually live it and breathe it and put it at the core of everything rather than just having a photo or doing one event or something just to tick a box. They've really got to mean it because I think if they don't mean it, they'll, they'll be found out over time.
0: No, I love that, and you're absolutely right. One of the things that you mentioned was around transformation and digital transformation, which I feel like is a buzzword we hear a lot. And, and a lot of companies are like, we're going through digital transformation, and then you look at what they're doing and they're not. So can you talk to me a little bit about what that means to you and what digital transformation should look like for companies today?
1: Oh, wow, yeah, well, that could take a long time. Uh, I suppose the, the biggest thing that we see a lot now is, and I suppose this has been accelerated by the pandemic, is companies who may be digital represented a small single digit um, amount of income uh, to them. So it might be less than 5% or certainly less than 10%. Uh, now digital re- is starting to represent double digits. And actually people are really starting to understand the opportunity that digital gives them, and that could be Uh, If you start looking at it in a digital first world, suddenly you could have a global business straight away, depending on the market and the service and what you're selling. But let's say you're an e-commerce business, you could quite easily scale internationally. Whereas if you're a retail business in the past, you might have to go have physical stores. You might have to go and negotiate local rents and employ local people. Uh, Whereas I think people who are truly transforming their business from a digital point of view Are looking at, well, hang on, this can give us a global footprint, but then also it's, I think everybody, certainly in the world I live in, gets obsessed with digital transformation, just the marketing end, but actually it flows through the whole business. And if you look at why Amazon's actually being so successful globally, it's not really their marketing, it's more their fulfillment, logistics, customer service. And that's all about having core digital processes that everybody just knows will work and trust so people are well the numbers would say now less and less people are going to google to search for things people are just going straight to amazon to buy things and that's because they know it will turn up when it turns up and they trust the process and that process is a digital process that gives them confidence so i think it's that whole end to end uh digitalization of the whole customer journey and process and i think it's taking a really big step back mapping it out and understanding well what systems and process and and can we put in place to make our customers experience from end to end better. And hopefully that will make them more loyal and as a business we'll make more money and more more profitable. But um, yeah, I I could go more on different angles, but I think as a general rule, uh, I'd say that that's what we're seeing.
0: So when someone wants to start that process, where do they get started? Like how do they start to think about really using digital to effectively propel their business forward and grow it?
1: I, I suppose, it, depending on the type of business, but let's say again, if you are uh, a retailer or an e-commerce a business, uh, it's about understanding where the demand for your products or services are. And I think you've got to do some analysis around the data, and that could be at a local level, that could be at a global level, um, and understanding, well, what's the... The demand for what we do in the markets we're going to, and then how do we stack up against the competition? Because so we've just done some, started doing some work with a, a BMX company that is um, wants to expand selling their BMXs globally, and in each different country they have different competitors who are similar but different but they want to become this big global player selling BMXs online, which is quite exciting off the back of the Olympics with all the sort of noise around uh, BMXs. But um, yeah, so I'd say you've got to start with what's the size of the market? Who are my competitors? Uh, and then how can we digitally engage with those audiences to put our products on the right place, the right device at the right time with the right customer so that hopefully we can, we can scale up our business? Uh, And I think it's about having a broad view of the media opportunity or the marketing opportunity or the the visibility proposition across all different channels. And I think that's where um, the people who get it right think about all the different channels rather than going, right, we're going to do a bit of Google shopping or we're going to do a bit of display um, or a bit of social media. People are thinking about, well, how does it all tie together to give me a complete picture?
0: So one of the other topics I know that relates to digital transformation that I know you're really passionate about is everything tied to measurement. And I think oftentimes marketers can almost get like analysis paralysis when there's so many things to measure. So when you think about measurement, you know, where should, where should we start? How should we start thinking about what data we should look at? What data we should pay attention to where does attribution fit into that mix? Cause so what's your philosophy on really measurement?
1: You're right. So this is a, a big, I think your, your point about paralysis by analysis, or there's just almost we're snow blind. The wonderful thing about digital is there is a huge amount of data that is produced. But that's also one of the bad things, because what that data does is that it gives us almost too much data. So I think one of the hard things for senior people who maybe are, uh new to a lot of the sort of performance marketing channels or the digital marketing channels, is understanding well which bit of data is the most important piece. And I think um, we spend a lot of time educating boards and certainly CFOs and CEOs on what are the key metrics that you should be working on with your chief digital officer or your CMO or your digital marketing agency to actually drive the right performance. Um, so I, I think the the, the key challenge, the the first thing is to try and get all your data into one place, right? So if you're advertising on Google, if you're advertising on Facebook, on TikTok, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, or wherever else you're advertising, trying to get all your data into one place, so you can then organize all your data and see everything in one central deduped dashboard is really, really helpful. And then I suppose trying to That would be the sort of first part of the puzzle of of solving an attribution problem and then i I think that the other channel challenge is getting the senior leadership team the people who hold the purse strings to the budget to actually buy into the concept of attribution so do they really understand that there's multiple touch points for each purchase so somebody could have seen a display ad then they come onto the website then you retarget them on facebook then they click and they view a product and they might sign up for email then you send them an email and then two days later they search a search term and because they know your brand they click on your ad and and we we, i'm still amazed on a daily basis i the number of people that are still doing last click or last non-direct click attribution and i think that that is disadvantaging it's a big disadvantage to the people that are doing that because it's not opening up the whole marketing funnel for them. So I think it's a tough sub subject and we could go on for lots of things. but the, the, to sort of summarize into a sort of like a chunk would be you need to get all your data into one place. You then need to analyze a significant amount of that data in like what are all the touch points and paths throughout that. And then the, the biggest thing and challenge is all day, all attribution models are wrong. right. What we've got to try and work out is which one is less wrong or the best fit. But just unless you sell one thing to the same person all the time, it's going to be very difficult to find a model that's perfect for your business. But what we need to do is find a model of best fit because an attribution model is better than no attribution model. But you could argue that last click is still an attribution model, because that's some of the, the model you're working to. But I think some form of multi-touch model uh, needs to be implemented across a business if it's got multiple channels, because it will unlock the right amount of budget in the right channel, enable you to scale a lot faster. Um, so but it's a, it's a topic that we, we, we debate very regularly with many, many clients. And I think you need to get the senior teams buy you can't go to them and say, oh, we want to spend a load of money on display, unless you've got the evidence to say, well, this is why. Because we know if we spend on display, that's going to mean later down the funnel, we're going to get more last clicks here.
0: So your comment around last touch attribution, attribution last click, right? Makes a ton of sense. And it's often what I see a lot of marketers implementing because it's the easiest one. How do you help them understand that you're really missing out on the bigger picture? Because I loved your example, right? Which is I saw an ad, I got an email, and oftentimes i never, like I get all of these emails from retailers and I never click on them. What do I do? I go to Google, type in their name later, and then go buy something. So how do you help them start to see in order to have a more accurate picture of where they should invest? Because it's not just one channel, it's a collection of it. Like how do you help them understand and make that leap?
1: I, th- I think there's there's got to be a desire within the business to improve performance because uh, you can sort of take the horse to water, but uh, so they they've got to be looking to improve performance and wanting to understand their data, uh, and I think and it also depends what their objectives are. Is the objective just overall total? We want more sales, or we want more profit, or do we want to have Certain types of we want more profitable customers or we want more customers that have got a lifetime value of X or more customers like this, because once we if we knew what the sort of objective is, you can then go analyze the data and within the data, you can get some directions of um, ultimately um, this is these are the channels in the mix that we need to look at. So to go back to your question, is like, how do we get people to start doing it? I, I think it's the first step. Would be to analyze maybe a month's worth of transactions and we would literally look at every single transaction and see how many uh touch points there are if the average touch point is over three or four you probably need an attribution model if it's less than three and four last clicks probably okay for now but you'd probably still benefit if it's one you just need last click if it's two, you're probably okay. If it's three or four, you should think about it. But anything more than four or five interactions across a purchase cycle, you should have some form of attribution understanding. Because if you don't, you may be missing out on customers further up the funnel who could have been a customer who would never actually found out about your service or product. Uh, and you won't know unless you go away and look. And, and, and most clients we talk to when we do this, it's... Um, they're amazed by how many touch points there are across those purchase cycles, and often, along how long that is, it could be six weeks, it could be eight weeks. It's quite a long period of time often uh, between the first interaction and the purchase. So, and I suppose the be- the, the other bit to highlight that you can, you need to make sure you've got all your tracking set up quickly in order to ensure that you're capturing all these data and all these in- interactions and touch points. So, yeah, that's what we do. We analyze about a month worth of data. Uh, and see how many touch points they have, and then to see, well, is it worth doing? And then if it is worth doing, we'd start drilling in to see, well, actually, the data saying, actually, this is the common channel for the first touch, and actually, you might need a 40-20-40. So 40% on the first interaction, 40% on the last, 20% spread across the middle, less direct. We might decide we're going to cut out all the direct where they actually typed in the URL direct, but there's loads of different models, and we've got teams of, of very clever data scientists who who work all this out for each individual client to help them get the best.
0: How much of the you know this lack of movement to multi-touch attribution is driven, in your opinion, based on the silos that can often happen in large organizations, where there's someone who owns email marketing, someone who owns PPC, someone who owns right. PR, like etc. This is
1: this is yeah. This is exactly a huge part of the problem, and this is goes back to something I touched on a minute ago. Uh, this needs to come top down and needs to be enable people at the senior level to help everybody. But no, yeah, we've had um, we've had I've seen situations where certain people in certain meetings have disagreed with the attribution model because it makes their channel look worse, or it really means their budgets get reduced because suddenly their click in the process isn't recognized for as much of the credit of the transaction. So, uh, and, and I think the way teams are structured and the way people are rewarded and recognized hugely affects behavior. And that's just a human nature, but I think the companies that get this right are looking at overall team performance and company performance, and they're less looking at individual channel performance or they're looking at channel performance and everybody's looking at attribution in the same way. And we've, we've often seen, it's like the discrepancies sometimes between PPC uh, and looking at it directly in AdWords or looking at it directly in um, Google, uh, Google Analytics or looking at Facebook in Facebook or looking at Facebook transactions in Analytics. There's often lots of differences. Uh, and some people uh, just, um, yeah, they, 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 they get very defensive about their channel and, and it could cause problems, but I think the key to this is getting everybody to buy into, if we do this in this way, it is going to change the numbers, and but we're all getting changed for the right reasons, and it will mean that overall the business will do better, which hopefully will give everybody more opportunities, more budget, more growth, both personally and professionally. But it's an absolute challenge, and also it's hard, and people don't necessarily... If it doesn't necessarily tell them what they want to hear, they might start pushing back a little bit on the numbers and say, well, actually, and we've had that quite a few times with clients who actually want to disagree with the data, um, which is is an interesting conversation.
0: So how do you, you know, think about if you're in a large organization, you have those silos, breaking it down, breaking them down do you start to is getting everyone on board with multi-touch attribution the first way to think about that is it more of breaking down channel owners how how do i make this bigger change so to your
1: point earlier yeah sorry carry on i
0: was gonna say and well to your point earlier you mentioned about like you've got to get the executives on board with all of this too how do you which we haven't even talked about CFOs and the role that they play in um marketing attribution because you know right they want to invest in the channels that drive the most revenue so how do you think about you know this making this big shift is there one place to get started versus another
1: so that's a great question and it's something that we we find CMOs or heads of digital struggle with and grapple with, or even the performance marketing team or your agency will struggle and grapple with on, a, on, a, on an ongoing basis. I think uh, the best place to start is a CFO or the CEO. And, and the questions you could ask is, how do you know that what you're spending? Most, most big retailers or big e-commerce companies now, or people who are spending a lot on digital marketing it's normally still Google first, then maybe Facebook. Um, But how do they know that they're spending the right amount of money in the right channel for their market? How do they actually know that? Um, And they'll probably say, oh, well, the CMO's told me or my agency's told me. um, But have you seen the evidence? And everybody is in the situation where they're trusting the reports or they're trusting the insight they're getting. But these smart individuals—the CFO or the CMO or the CEOs—they say, "Well, if we could show you a tool that would enable you to have visibility of which channel you should invest the most in, how would you feel about investing more or making better decisions?" So I think it's—it's it's almost challenging their thinking because I do think historically, and hopefully less so now, but uh, digital marketing agencies in some instances and in some verticals have got uh, a reputation for lack of visibility or making commissions on spends. So I do think if you start with the CFO with the question of going, how do you know that's the right amount of money to be spending on your digital? And they'll be like, well, this person's, on that well, how do they know? And then you just start pulling on the string. You go, well, have you done the analysis? And who's done the analysis? And then, on what basis did they do that analysis and just start, I suppose, putting a bit of doubt in but highlighting that there is an answer and there is a credible way to make this better um and i i'd I'd maybe say or even challenge the question are there better performing channels so could you move some of the money that you're spending in google or facebook into another channel and that might actually help you achieve your your business objective as attracting more customers quicker or getting better new first orders or or whatever the business objective or goal is so i definitely in order to get things done in, in any organization, but particularly large organizations, having the, the FD on board um, or the chief CFO on board really helps uh, tailor the question because they're ultimately the people who will also hold the purse strings for the budgets. So I'd start with sort of challenging, well, how do you know this? How do you know that? Uh, wouldn't it be helpful if you could see where's the best place to spend my next pound? So I suppose that'd be a good question. How do you know where the best place to spend your next dollar is um, when you're planning your your media spends? And and then I'd sort of orchestrate a conversation around that.
0: Do you find that it's hard for people to let go of their investments in Google and Facebook? Like when you mentioned that, the idea of, you know, maybe shifting around your spend, I can imagine a lot of marketers are like, but it, but it's Google, and it's Facebook, and they just assume that they have to be there, they have to invest heavily. How do you help them see maybe what's really going on and what channels are really driving the revenue growth?
1: Well, I suppose that they used to be only one way, which used to be the sort of the test and learn model, which is well, why don't you give me five thousand dollars? We'll go spend it on a new channel uh, and see what happens, and then we'll prove to you that we can we can make this work. But now, with the with the uh, sort of developments in AI and machine learning, we can run lots of different sort of forecasts and algorithms and go right based on your spend profiles, based on the available market demand in each individual channel, based on uh, how your consumers perform in other channels. We believe there's an opportunity of X for you in, let's say, Amazon or in TikTok or in um, Snapchat, for instance. Um, and I suppose there's two questions there. Is, is it if we move budget or if you had additional budget? Um, and, and I think that, that now, because of computing power and the access to data, uh, you can answer that question. Uh, and that's available in platforms such as Bosco and there's lots of other smart people who, who could probably help you work that out, but it's, um, yeah, I'd be, I'd be sort of trying to run some sort of simulation or forecast rather than saying, oh, give us $10,000 and we'll go run a trial. Cause I think also why would you move $10,000 from Google if Google's working to go and test something that may or may not work? So I think you have to be really confident in your numbers. but. I I think Google and Facebook and a lot of the channels are getting very more and more expensive and the margins are getting eroded and there are lower hanging fruit opportunities in media, but people are a little bit nervous and scared. And I think some of that is about a knowledge bias because they don't know what they don't know. So whether that be the digital marketing team or whether that be the digital agency, I think they have a bias based on what they've done before. or what the available knowledge within their team is. And I think sometimes even within agencies other than teams, they're reluctant to go and hunt out new opportunities because they're so stuck in the day-to-day delivery and pressure of delivering numbers in a performance marketing role. And I think that has sort of happened a lot.
0: No, that makes a ton of sense. So if you had to talk to a digital marketer today and you could only give them one piece of advice, what would you say?
1: Um, wow, one piece of advice. I'd say um, understand your customer's path to purchase to establish whether or not you need an attribution model. Because I think the other thing is with with that is if you don't need one, you don't need to worry about it. But I would imagine most people now do need one. uh, And it's understanding what is that media mix that's going to give you the best performance for your business. So actually doing the analysis to see if you need one.
0: You've been listening to Real Marketers. If you love what you've heard, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. And don't forget to tell a friend. All of this marketing goodness shouldn't be kept a secret.